0: Welcome back for another week of Last Ones at the Bar. We're here to talk about all of the latest and greatest in the sport of boxing. My name is Wilton Henry and I'm accompanied by greatness and that is Daniel Lee and Lavelle Jackson. Fellas, you know um, my main man Kendrick Lamar first off before I even get to that how you fellas doing man?
1: Doing good man. Thanks. Yeah I'm feeling good. I just had a we already talked about our well me and Vail already talked about our old man Gripes but I just got out a tight massage a few minutes ago, so I'm feeling good, man, physically and mentally.
0: Yeah, that's what's up, that's what's up. Uh, Myself as well, and what I was gonna say was that you had my man, man, Kendrick Lamar. He dropped a new CD this week, and I was wondering, have you fellas caught that? And even if you didn't, um, what do you think about Kendrick Lamar as an artist?
1: So I did run through it all the way through it once, um via Spotify when it came out on Friday. And sonically, I enjoyed it. It's one of those ones you gotta sit with. It's like because new music drops so often now, like you kind of don't have the attention span, but I just gotta really sit with it. But I appreciate him being so personal on this one. It's not like deep, it's just personal. And so it's like you want to listen to everything that he's saying. But Sonically, it checks out, and um, I'm just glad to have him back. You know what I mean? He's one of my favorite artists. He's probably 1A or 1B for my favorite uh, rappers right now. So I'm just glad to have him back. The Heart Part 5 was really good, too, so I'll be diving in more this week.
2: Yeah, I haven't had a chance to listen to it, but one thing I have been noticing is a a lot of cats who are not normally excited about, you know, today's hip-hop, are excited about this new album that just dropped so I'm like man I'm gonna have to check that out you know Kendrick I, I, I've liked him since you know uh his mixtape High Power um and, and uh the Mad City album and Pepper Butterfly so I'm gonna definitely check this one out uh I've been kind of skirting away from hip-hop a little bit but you know there's always those cats like Kendrick and uh J. Cole and Griselda who who kind of get me back in, pull me back in and and let me know it's all right to be an old man listening to hip hop.
0: No, there's nothing wrong with listening to hip hop. Um, I I certainly dabble in it every morning when I'm hitting the weights. You know what I mean? I got to listen to me a little bit of that Sean P. You know, I got to listen to my main man. Now I, I got re accustomed to listen to my main man, Big Tuck. You know what I'm saying? But all of the Houston rappers, you know, Queens, uh, uh, you know, like the Nas's, the Mob Deep's, you know, the the Camerons, you know, I I just, I can't get enough of it, to be honest with you. But as far as Kendrick Lamar, I go back with him with the Section 80 mixtape. Love that piece. You know, it was some kids who put me up on them. They were talking about T.D.E., some of the other artists that was a part of that group, uh, Rock, and a couple of other fellas, too. You know what I mean? And at that time, I was kind of getting away from rap because I just didn't like the direction that it was going. And so they're like, I didn't feel like it was as hip hop anymore. So I still would just gravitate towards the older artists, you know, and so it's like, nah, you gotta listen to him. And so when I did, I was pleasantly surprised. I was pleasantly surprised with their entire group. And so with the section 80, overly dedicated, and then I thought he put a masterpiece together with that good kid, Mad City. Now, the more current pieces of work that he's put out, they've been good. I like them. It's from an artistic standpoint. But at the same time, it's nothing to me that's just going to jump out at me where I'm just like, you know, banging it out the gate. But he's not that type of artist. He's one of those guys, like you said, that you have to listen to it over and over. And then you kind of like catch little bits and pieces because he can layer his stuff where he can say it and say certain things that just your ear can catch it and like it, but it has m- multiple meanings to what it is that he's saying. He's like, Oh man, now I get what he's talking about, but you have to have time to do it. And I just haven't had time. It's a lot of music on there. And um, I just haven't had an opportunity to listen to the full body of work just yet. Um, also, I got, I got a fellas, you know, I got to get your picks, man. We got these game sevens and I know when it's come out that when this comes out that the game sevens will be over. And I got to get your predictions on the Bucks and the Celtics and then the Sun versus Doncic and the Mavs. Who you got, man?
1: I think that the Suns are going to find a way to figure it out. You know what I mean? Like, And plus, like, I'm a little bit biased because I really, really want to see a Suns and Warriors conference finals. I think that would be really fun. And sorry, Will, I hate to say it, but I think that the Bucs just don't have enough without Chris Middleton to win this game at home. I'm sorry, but I got to go with Boston for that game seven.
2: Yeah. I, I, I see the Suns putting out against the the Mavs, even though I think both series are kind of like, man, they, 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 they toss ups, uh, especially the Suns and Mavericks. Uh, that's a kind of a toss up. Uh, the, the Bucks and the Celtics. Originally, I had the Bucks winning that, but I think it's more of a toss-up in this Game Seven. Um, and, and, and man, that last game, the Celtics kind of kind of scared me. So, so if I'm, I'm a Bucks fan, I'll be concerned. But I'm still gonna go. go I, I believe that the Bucks gonna pull it out.
0: I'm glad that you you came around. You had me worried there, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I was like this, this, this old bugs hate it got to, it got to stop. You know what I'm saying? I was about to go ahead and close the curtain on this episode. Oh too. man,
2: Friday kind of shook me. I was like, Whoa,
0: oh, oh. <laughs> I'm to be honest with you, just based on what I saw on Friday, man, that was a good night. So I went out that day. You know, I'm just gonna leave it at that. But anyway, as far as that, um, that game, it it, it leaves me concerned as well because it looked like the Celtics just they, they had their number, like they figured things out, but we'll see, we'll see how things play out, man, let's go ahead, and get to these topics, I'm not going to put any predictions on, on wax, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, I'll let you fellas do that, now, um, as far as these predictions is concerned,
1: that's crazy, not the prediction.
0: as far as this episode, we're going to talk about the huge fight out there in Vegas, the Charlo Castagna, or was that in California? That was in Carson's, right? Yeah. yeah, Carson's, California, Very good venue out there. Then you also have Boots Ennis on the undercard, Gilberto Ramirez, he was fighting over there on the zone. And then later on, um, you had Sergey Kovalev making his comeback. And then we'll also you know, discuss next week's part of the Davids, uh, Benavidez versus mute with that being said, let's go ahead and kick it off with the Charlo versus Castano.
2: Yeah, this fight, another fight of the year candidate. Probably, what, the third one in the last month or two. Uh, but this was very, very excited. I'm very proud of Charlo and happy with what I saw from him yeah. yesterday. Even both guys, actually. I, I, I'll give a shout-out to both because Brian Castano also because he fought his heart out. That was a great performance from, from Charlo. Very, very fast paced, actually even faster than the first fight. So looking at it, I was like, this fight might now I don't think I can't see this from going the distance. But in rematches, it it normally hinges on who makes the better adjustments from the first fight. And even beforehand, I I thought that Charlo will make better adjustments. And he kind of did. You know, he started off, he was jabbing and and, and moving more, uh sticking and moving, trying to keep his back off the ropes. And even when he, you know the times he did have his back on the ropes, he would pivot a little bit out of there, you know, so not to give Castanio time to really get off on his combinations. So it took Castanio a little bit to you know warm up. Um, could be possibly because you you know the whole showing up to the venue late thing, which be upset because you know we watching these fights late at night, you know, and Castanio made it later. But <laughs> either way, first three rounds Charlo was pretty much you know outboxing castanio but you see castanio kind of trying to figure him out about the third round it kind of heated up a little bit but the fourth round just got crazy i think it was you know round four and round five i want to say it was like rounds of the year and castanio you know throwing those those right hands that was leading on that was uh landing on charlo uh
1: and
2: you know having a little concern and that was almost and Charlo was always dangerous, so I'm concerned about Castanio also. And Castanio was, was you know, he was moving well also and bringing the pressure through the fourth, fifth, and sixth round. And in the seventh, I, I think Charlo caught Castanio with a with a big left hook. And, and I think that kind of changed the rhythm of the fight where Castanio got a little bit more, he got less active. Uh, but even in that seventh round, Charlo at times wouldn't, he wouldn't capitalize on it. So I, I could see that he was a little bit of spin as well and had to get his, you know, second win also. But by the eighth round, once Castillo didn't really, you know, speed it up at, as much, he was still doing things that was making him successful and keeping him in the fight. But once I saw he was slowing down a lot, uh, I knew that, this, that you know, it was a matter of time that he was going to, you know, he's, he's going to lose his fight. Um, and by the, uh, the ninth and tenth round, ninth round, Charlie was landing right hands on Castillo, opening him up more normally he's he really working them jazz the entire fight but this is when he really starts sitting down on the right hands on the inside in round 10 uh charlo hit Castano with a left hook that put him down you know with a delayed reaction where you know castagna went down, down to his knee and, and when he got up and was you know stumbling around i knew that this is this is over it's only a matter of time and charlo was gonna seize the moment uh this time and charlo did he, he uh uh put it on Castano, hit him with, you know, all type of hooks <laughs> and hit him with a left hook to the body that that, that put Castano down for good while the referee waved it off. Uh, but it was a great fight. Um, Jamel, Char- Jamel Charlo, he proves to 35-1-1 uh, one one with 18 knockouts. He's now the unified champion in the four-belt era uh, where he has all four belts. Uh, Castano falls to 17-1-2. Um, but it was a great fight, great performance from Charlo, and he, it was – you know, refreshing to finally see him get what he worked so hard for and waited so long
0: for. Fight of the year candidate for sure. When I look at the fight uh, initially, like before the fight even started, I was wondering what. Charlo coming in at 152 pounds with that help or hurt him. I've never seen him, you know, that light coming to the fight. And Castanio was like a pounder, a little bit over a pound heavier. So I was like, is that really going to be helpful? Is that going to hurt him? Is it going to affect the stamina? You know, um, that sort of thing. Also, before the fight in the press conference, Charlo was trying that tough guy with Castanio and... Castillo really was, wasn't was phased by it at all. It's like he either uh, knew it was an act um, or thought Charlo was playing or he just has that Vladimir Putin coolness to him, you know? And the tough guy stuff doesn't work against certain fighters from different parts of the world. And it really doesn't work that well in general. But also coming to the fight, so when Charlo was entering the ring, you know, I know the fight was in California, but... He, with the Houston ties you know being from H time you know I would think that you have artists like you know speaking of artists and we're just talking about Kendrick Lamar you know you might want to think about somebody you know like that Scarface Zero Slim Thug Mike Jones Trader Truth Chameleon there Devin the Dude you know even if you want to go with some of the newer artists you know what I mean and I know that they have their Issues going on, like the Travis Scott's is from Houston. You have Megan The Stallion. She's from Houston. I was just wondering, I said, why are you coming up to this Justin Timberlake song, sir? You know, just a head scratch. But anyway, you um, did a really good job of breaking down the fight, like you said, as a candidate for fight of the year. Um, in this fight, uh, you had Charlo, as far as the punch stats are concerned, total punches. He landed at 173 and Castanho landed one hundred. And 94, because uh, Charlo was a little bit more economical. Um, he landed his power punches at a slightly higher percentage than Castano, where he landed 46.9 and Castano landed 42.6. Power punches, uh, Charlo landed 142 of his and Castano landed 175 of his shots. So, you know, this fight was really close. You know, it, it was a really good fight. I thought that each fighter, made adjustments you mentioned that charlo he made it a concerted effort to stay off the ropes as much as possible although he was on the ropes at certain points it's, it's ineligible you know what i mean you're, you're gonna have have moments where you, you're gonna your back is gonna be to the rope sometimes we get tired and whatnot and it happened but it just wasn't as frequent as it was in the first fight um and then to me i thought what castanio since charlo wasn't on the ropes as much because once soon as charlo's back touches the ropes that's when Castaño goes to work. So if he wasn't going to be on the ropes, what Castanio decided to do was he decided to step up his activity in the latter part of each round, like a that like one minute goes by, then he'll like up the ante. By the time that last minute, then he's really trying to land some shots on, on Charlo. So that to me, those would have been main adjustments that I saw each fighter um, made. And like you said, you know, Jameel landed that clean shot. I mean, it was just some good action all the way through, man. I thought that to me, I don't know. I don't know what the scores were, and I wasn't keeping score, but I just thought this was a nip and tuck type fight. It could have went either way up into the latter part when um, Jamel landed that shot that Castano just didn't, he wasn't prepared for. I can't say he didn't see it. I just know that he wasn't prepared for a shot that heavy to land on him in that moment, and it threw off his equilibrium. And they dropped him. And shortly after Jamel closed the show, I was impressed. I was very impressed with Jamel's ability to take the pressure that Castano put on him for the nine, 10 rounds that the fight was going. And then also while being hit, as often he, as he was and still have the stamina and endurance and power to get Castano out, out of there. You know what I mean? And that's the reason in my prediction, I didn't know which direction it was going to go. I didn't know whether or not he was going to be able to do it with all of that firepower coming at him. And then also with Castaño, would he be the one who would you know, give in to what Jamil has coming at him? I just knew that it was going to be nip and tuck, but I also knew that Castanho was walking a tightrope throughout that whole fight. No matter how well he was doing, Jamil always has that one punch power, you know, to, to change things, you know. And so that's exactly what happened. Um, very good win. And like you said, he's the first, I mean, he's a seventh fighter uh, in history to collect the WBA, WBC, IBF, and WBO championships. You know, I think Josh out there in the UK, he has the other one at 140. Uh, right now, and Canelo does as well. Fighter of the year candidate. It's going to be interesting to see where both of these guys go from here, Castano as well. And shout out to him, man. You know, he did a, a really good job. The, the guys, um, you know, dapped it up afterwards. All of the bad blood that it seemed like that they had going into the fight, they were able to, you know, acknowledge each other, show respect, you know, and that's what it's all about. But congratulations to Jamel Charlo on a huge accomplishment.
1: Definitely shout out to the lion. I personally had it 87, 84 in favor of Charlo at the time of the stoppage. It was pretty much even through six and then seven to nine, I gave to Charlo. Um, The main pattern I saw was that when they were trading, Castano was getting the better of him um, just with the firepower. But otherwise I felt like Charlo was a better tactician. He was able to move around the ring really well and was making his offense out of countering Castanio's aggression. And Castanio was game, but there just weren't many adjustments to make to his style after the last fight. And I don't know why, I, I think you might have alluded to this, Vel, but towards the end of, like, either round five or six, uh, Castanio, he he got hit a certain way, and then, like, he threw his hands up in a way that like it was almost like he was trying to let the ref know that he got rabbit punched maybe, but he was kind of insist on it. He kept doing it like in like a three second span and it got him caught. And he was a uh, buzz after that. And although I had him winning that round six, it just so happened that after that, that's when he had turned down the aggression and he started reacting more to what Charlo was doing. So I was kind of like, Oh man, I would have to go back because I didn't see why he was doing that and why he kept doing it after the ref didn't respond. But, you know, you guys otherwise said anything that I could have said, um, as good as I could have said it or better. So it was a really good fight for sure, fight of the year candidate. I think that this fight, you know, already puts Derek James in the, as a front runner for trainer of the year candidate. Especially if, you know what I mean, Spence and Crawford fight and Spence pulls that out. Like, don't even worry about it at that point. As far as where they go, I think Kasanyu is still number two or three in the division. And I think he'll be a champion again, especially if Charlo moves up. Because that, that is something that he casually mentioned. If he stays there, then you have Zoo as the number one contender for the WBO and Fandora as number one contender for the WBC And some other guys um, are number one contenders for the others, I believe. But I think the fights out of the number one contenders, I would personally want to see him against Fandora more. But again, we also don't know if he's going to move up to 160. But I thought he looked really good. I thought he was super poised. Um, I was a little bit worried about him coming in at 152 as well, but he was just in really good shape. I'm just happy for him. I think he deserved it. I think. If whoever didn't have him in the pound for pound discussion up to this point, he definitely needs to be in there now and a great fight. And I think that's all I got. You guys have anything else? Yeah. Yeah. I saw he came in low. I didn't have any
2: problem with him coming in low in weight. And this is why, because because he's one of those guys that even if he walks around a little heavy, it's, it's like he stays in shape, like he's in shape heavy. He's not the, I'm out partying, you know, gaining weight heavy. He's naturally muscular and he's always, you know, riding his bike and stuff like that. And it showed that and I heard he was on weight, you know, early. So now that, that might have been some concern that he was on weight and stayed at weight early. But, you know, it paid off. He had the stamina to pull it off. And, you know, he's a, he's one of those guys like a, a gym rat. He's very athletic in that regard. So I didn't have a issue with that.
0: Yeah, I did. Because I don't I don't know, you know, to what extent. Sometimes you can overtrain because I know he wanted this so bad. And in wanting it so bad, you still in certain parts of your training where you have to rest your body. You know what I mean? Because then when you go into the actual fight, then it's like you left it all in a gym. And so that's what I was concerned about, because he is naturally bigger than Castanio. And I did not want him to give Castanio an added advantage, but being able to like muscle him or anything like that you know, having like a slight weight advantage or anything like that. But it, it paid off for him. Because with Jamel, you, you, what, what you see is what you get. You know what I mean? And so um, that's the other thing that I was factoring into the fight is that I know that he's a mean, tough dude and that he's going to want to put some serious hurt on Castanha. And I do not know if that was going to play into what Castaneda likes to do because he wants you to sit there in front of him in order for him to get his stuff off being such a, you know, smaller guy as far as like, not smaller, you know, as far as weight and things like that, but just physical attributes as far as reach and things like that. But again, man, you know, shout out the mail, man. I'm, I'm glad that he's getting, getting, you know, the, the the accolades that he deserves and the praise that he deserves. Now, I did, I saw him get a little hostile with the ESPN guy, though. You know, he was saying that they've been hating on him and stuff like that, so he let them have it. But outside of that, he was calm and reserved in the press conference. What would you specifically? What would you like to see him? Next? Is it just Fandora, or would you like to see him go? Of the 160 it seemed a little bit more and not not a it's not a foregone conclusion now since he coming in at 152 because now you know that's a pretty big gap now you know that to, to make 160 if he so if he's making 154 so comfortably but then also what if he waits around to see if Crawford is successful against Spence and maybe he might come up you still might have guys that from 147 that may come up and challenge him. So I don't,
2: you, what, what do you think? He's more likely to take one or two two more fights. And it might be one of those guys, either uh, Tim Zhu or uh, Sebastian Fedora, He might take one of those fights. And then he's going to, I believe he is going to move up to 160. If Bud is successful, I don't think he's going to fight Bud. He doesn't really have interest in that. And he's definitely not going to fight Spence. So I do see him going up to 160, especially considering that, I really believe that Jamal is going to move up to 168 and chase a Cadello or a bit of You don't think he'll fight Crawford if Crawford successful He moves up? He already said he wouldn't fight Crawford. With all the belts? Out of his own mouth, he said he would not fight Crawford. You don't have all the belts right now. No, he said even if Crawford moved up,
1: Crawford is a little guy. <laughs> That's basically what he said. I personally, I would like to see it. And even though he said that, I'm going to wait until that fight happens and plays out because if Crawford wins and if it's in a dominant fashion, like if he stops Spence, seeing an undisputed fight of undisputed, that would be crazy. There's a lot of money in that fight. It would be hard to say no. It's unheard of.
2: Yeah, I, yeah, I definitely I agree with you. I It's just that if Bud wins that fight and wins it dominantly, I'm, I'm – I'm just not sure. I'm not sure.
1: <laughs> I'm not sure about it. I feel you. I guess to answer your question, Will, yes. <laughs> like whatever he does, I'm here for it. You know what I mean? Like if he fights Fedora, I think it'll be a fun fight. I think it's a very interesting style matchup because of Fedora's size and how he's willing to fight on the inside, sometimes to his detriment. I think if he moves up to 160, I think that there's a greater likelihood that he does things at 160 that his brother refused to do. And I think that would potentially bring middleweight division back to life. Like, I think he would be more likely to call out some of those dogs and, well, whatever dogs are left. So I'm here for whatever he does. I think it's going to make for good fights. Um, I think it just a matter of how things play out with some of these other fighters in the summertime, you know, and in the fall maybe.
0: Yeah, it's dumb. dumb, dumb. The them pit bulls and rock rollers, either they moved up or they they uh they, they some old dogs. You know what I mean. He might be left with the 101 Dalmatians. You understand? <laughs>
1: Lassie. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I think that uh, Andre will come back down for that though.
2: Yeah, I, I, yeah. I think I draw this currently 160, and I think he's probably would stay there if if Jamel moved up and was willing to fight him. I A-B.
1: thought that Andra, um, just was going to make his, his debut at 168. He is, but if he makes that debut and then Chala moves up and is like, all right, come back down, Boo-Boo. Boo-Boo, gonna, he's going to come back down. <laughs> he's going to lose those eight pounds again. You remember, he,
0: he was supposed to fight one of them, and then the fight got canceled last minute. They said, right. like, withdrew well, drew for some whatever reason.
1: So on the undercard for that fight, we had one of the, the young Hungry Lions, at 147, we had Jerron Boots Ennis. He fought Custio Clayton, who was undefeated at the time. Uh, what did you guys think of that fight? It wasn't much of a fight,
0: Daddy. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was, it was really tough. <laughs> so i I'll give you a little bit of background and you know a small portion of the fight since it wasn't you know much to talk about. And so just coming into this fight, Jerron Ennis, I knew that he was gonna have a sizable advantage. Um, not only because of the skill level of the young lad, but also the fact that Custod Clayton, he, although he is very talented, you know, um, he obviously will have, will be at a disadvantage for this reason. You know, not like I said, not only the athleticism that boots is big, strong, long, has power, speed, he... Uh, uh, he has punching power like from weird angles that he can throw those power shots from, just et cetera. All of the above, he checks off everything. You know, it seems to have a pretty good chin you know, when he does get clipped. So he was going to have his hands full just on that alone, right? But, but the other thing that I was questioning going into this fight, the talent, the talent wise, I thought Custody Clayton made pose some threats, you know, to in resistance towards, and it's because he does have nice shots that he shoots. He's, he's, he's very economical, but he is a fighter who has some sneaky stuff that he throws, but against far less opposition, you know. But the main thing that I was concerned about coming into this fight was the fact that he he trains an Ottawa, you know what I mean? And as good as he may be, it's just not a lot of competition there, and You know, not only is is he going to have a tough time getting sparring necessary for an elite fighter like Ennis, but he's always going to be around good, nice, chummy people. You know what I'm saying? And I think that in order to be prepared and competitive against somebody like Boots, who's from Philadelphia, who's getting that solid training on a consistent basis, you have to have a level of meanness to you and you have to be sharp to the point where you're going against, you know, either tough opponents coming into the fight or, or in your career, or you're going to be going against tough sparring on a consistent basis. It's kind of like, like in basketball, like in college, when, when certain coaches, they schedule tough games early, you know, for their teams, you know, so that they can learn stuff, you know, and see everything possible before conference game starts, or even the playoffs when it matters, you know, and he, I just didn't think he'd be prepared to see the stuff that he was going to see yesterday. And And that's the way it played out. So. With that being said, Boots comes out, he was landing some, you know, pretty, like some mean, stiff jabs early, you know, throwing his shots. And what surprised me kind of was that Custio Clayton, when he fought against Lippinus in this other, the biggest fight that he fought, if you look at his resume, you don't see anybody on it that you would recognize. But the lippiness fight, which ended in a draw, what I noticed is that he was boxing. And that's what I thought he was gonna attempt to do against Boots. But I think what he thought was that Boots was gonna prepare for him the box and he was gonna you know, flip the script and try to back Boots up, see if he is as effective backing up as he is coming forward. But it wasn't, he, he wasn't, he was kind of in between. Like sometimes he was trying to be a little bit aggressive and then he started to try to box a little bit towards the end of the second round. And that's when Boots clipped him with that right hand um, on top of the head. And like I say, Boots got some power from some weird angles, man, like he hit guys with shots that you would think is not that hard, but it'll bounce off the head. The next thing you know, the equilibrium is all they noodle leg, can't get up or once they get up, it's just real wobbly and a rough waves things off. And that's what happened yesterday. You know, all in all, I thought it was a very impressive victory for Boots. But again, I think it's the same level like Clay might just be a little bit better than a Sergey Lipinets um, in that caliber of opponent. I would really like to see him face one of those top guys. I'm not sure how eager they are, they are you know, in order to face somebody like Boots. But, you know, Philadelphia, they got them on right now. And he's the IBF number one. That's what this battle was for, was for the number one spot in the IBF. So he will be in line to fight Spence or Crawford, depending on who wins that fight. Then again, they may one of those guys may end up getting stripped eventually if they move up or what have you. Um, but he's in line to get that IBF belt, and so for me, moving forward, I'm interested to see what's going to happen when he lock horns with guys like Virgil Ortiz, Amante or Stanionis. You know what I mean? The welterweight division is looking real, real good right now, and it's in good hands. You know, with those guys there. But shout out the boots! Excellent victory for doing what he was supposed to do against that
2: caliber of opponent. Yeah, he did what he was supposed to do. Uh, I didn't think he would do it that quick, or. I- I actually predicted this fight would go a distance and look more like, uh, you know, Benavidez did with, with uh, Kyron Davis, a little bit like that. Um, but I, I was surprised, you know, because still he had that high guard. I mean, he was, you know, trying to find the find the opening the counter boots, uh, but boots are so officially gifted that he, he really couldn't. So I thought it would play out where he would just keep trying to find that, but not get caught really hard like that. I thought his, you know, his chin was strong enough, but Boots just, you know, got that power. And then just like the commentator said, I mean, if you can't hurt Boot Ennis. You know, I mean, you got a problem. <laughs> you know, I call him the real problem. You know, you know, like you know, he called Adrian Broner the problem. I think Boots is the real problem. So I mean, Clay tried to get up, man, and, and I thought the fight was over then because the ref did count to ten. But you know. He gave Clayton another ch- another chance and <laughs> waved it off and he started stumbling around. So that equilibrium equilibrium was, you know, real off. So it'll be interesting, you know, to see where Inners go because I mean he's in a, a, a pretty stacked division right now. It, it's only gonna get better from here. Um and plus he's big enough that he can. Uh, once he, you know, finish off 147 or may not be able to get any fights at 147, he can move to 154, you know. He can do those things. If he's picking up. Um, so, shout out to, to you know, Ennis, you know, my main man. Uh, anything else you guys want to share? Yeah, I wouldn't even concern myself with no 154. He hasn't done anything at 147. Yeah, I'm I mean, saying if he can't, if he, once he beats guys in 147, or maybe he can't get fights at 147, maybe guys are ducking up. I mean, would you want him to wait at 147 and try to wait out guys? That
0: because he's the number one fighter in the IBF. He can't get the fight, then somebody's going to get stripped. So he's going to have that belt. If they want that belt, then they're going to have to come through him. And so, yes, stay there. If you're, he sounds like in, in the interviews that I've heard from him. He said he comfortably makes 147. So please, I, and and the only reason you hear my tone get in the way it's getting away is Giddy. Is because I hope with the loss of Canelo last week that we don't have all this weight fluctuation where guys are moving here and moving there. No, handle the business at 147. That's a premier division. It always has been a premier division. It's very hard to market somebody at 154 as opposed to 147. When you hear welterweight, you know, most people understand the recognition of that division, sugar Ray Leonard, Sugar Ray Robinson. Tommy Herms, you know, you had the list goes on and on. Felix Trinidad, Oscar De La Hoya, Brunel Whitaker, Floyd Mayweather, don't worry about before they knock some heads off at 147 and get your name up, get your weight up. And that's what I'm hoping the boost does. Now, the other thing that I wanted to say, I knew that it was gonna be a, a, a tough day for Custio Clayton because Custio Clayton to me just looked like if you go to the gym and you see like a 36, 37 year old man who looks like there's some really good shape, but that's for a 36, 37 year old man. You know what I'm saying, and Boots is like in this. I, I wouldn't necessarily say his prime, but he's one of those young, spry uh, fellas that you know. Because because yeah, Clayton looked a little stiff too. I'm like, nah, you that man right there has too much elasticity. You know, he has too much like bouncing. You know, he just. He, he, he's, he's primed right now and, and he was going to have a tough time dealing with him for however long the fight was going to go. Like, again, like I said again, shout out the Boots, man. Philadelphia, you got one.
2: All right. We're going to move on. So yesterday we had my main man at light heavyweight Gilberto Zerdo Ramirez. He took on Dominic Boiso. Uh Do you guys check that fight out? What were your thoughts on Zerdo?
1: I'll keep mine quick. But uh, this was essentially target practice for Zerto, man. More or less a formality to stake his rightful claim as number one in the WBA. So he did what he wanted to do, uh, honestly. Boisel was there to be hit. Boisel attempted to put up resistance. It wasn't much that he could do. Zerto looked huge. He looked like a cruiserweight. And I think they said he ballooned up maybe close to 30 pounds. And so he was essentially a cruiserweight in there. And so it wasn't much Boisel could do. It wasn't anything that I could see in the fight worth, like, analyzing. He was throwing punches, pretty basic punches and combos, and they were landing. He called out Bevo, and I wouldn't be mad at it, but Bevo is in a very good spot right now, and he has better options, whether it's to rematch Canelo or whether it's to unify with the winner of uh, Better BF and Joseph Smith Jr., I do hope, though, that this doesn't become a thing where Zerto is kind of in the wrong place in the wrong time and ends up getting ice out of those top fights in the division because of, you know, just because of timing. Because there are some unanswered questions about him at the elite level because he's 44-0 and 0 and he didn't really have a marquee fight at super middleweight. And so I do hope that he is able to get some good fights, even if it's not Bevo next. Yeah, he, he did what I thought he was
2: going to do, you know, Bosa, Bosa Bueso, uh really didn't put up any resistance. I mean, you we saw the size difference, that size difference there, and Ramirez is basically just bullying him. And you know what I like about, what I do like about Zerto is he's just not this, even though he can overpower guys and just land punches at will on the competition that he's faced, he's not really like, a, he's not like a, a come for out muscle you guy, too, also. He does. I like the way he moves, like he boxes a little bit. You know, he has a little bit to his game where, you know, he fires off combinations and, have, you know, he, he does some lateral movement, which, which I do like. It's almost like he's what Chavez Jr. should have been. <laughs> so he's a big guy who can, you know, do a lot of things. Um, but he got voice out of there in the fourth round. Just like I think I called that last week that he would get him out of there in that round. But good performance by Zerto. I want to see more. I want to see him against seasoned opposition. You know, so yeah, like you said, those questions are are need to be answered. And I'm not sure that you know Golden Boy wants to put him in there with these top guys. I mean, I I, I don't see it. Like they, I I hear all these comments talking about they're trying to get him to 50 and 0, and it's like I mean. That shouldn't be the goal. The goal should be to get him big fights and see where he's at. And people are so afraid to take a loss that, you know, it just, that part of it is kind of irritating in today's time. But shout out to Zerto.
0: Calling out the man at, at, 15, at 175 and, and uh, Bivol, you know. But the first thing was said, say as far as this fight is concerned, man, the WBA ought to be ashamed of themselves for making Dominic Boizzo Ranking him ahead of Zudo Ramirez or whatever it is they ranked him. He shouldn't be in the top 10, shouldn't be in the top 20. Shame on you, WBA. Now, as far as what I saw in this fight, Zerto came out immediately stalking Bo- Boizo, um without any worry in the world. You know, he was doing right uppercuts. And like you say, daddy target practice, you know, nothing coming back. This was a mismatch of gigantic proportions. I remember one time, man, I, I-, I equate this to this one situation that I was in, I used to go to Gramlin State University. One time I was out there with a couple of football players, like two football players from the football team. We were just um, having like a little, a little game that we we're playing like seven on seven or something like that, you know, late at night or whatever. And those two dudes, one of them was a running back. Now, they, I was quarterback and I was killing. And they was like, man, you, you, wanna, you, you need to go ahead and try out and blah, 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 this and, uh Heck no, I'm not trying out um, for your football team, sir. But anyway. I was on defense, and I consider myself a pretty good football player, you know, under those circumstances. Now, the running back, until I got on defense, so the running back had the ball, and as he's running, he, I think we had flags or something like that. No, we just had the touch. It was two-hand touch. This dude caught the ball, and I'm sitting up there trying to touch him, and every time I try to touch him, he's like, do a little dance. And then when he do a little dance, like, I'm way away from him, I'm stumbling around. And I'm like, that's when I, in my mind, I said, there's no way in the world that I would be able to compete, you know, at a collegiate level playing football. Cause I can't even touch this dude. Like he right there in front of me, he run up on me. And that's what I thought about Boisel yesterday. Like you can tell that this was a huge gap and Judo um, Ramirez was just banging his dude, doing whatever he wanted to do. It got to a point in the se- second round when Boisel was taking this punishment And he threw a combination of punches, like just throwing them as as hard as he could, not necessarily even try to knock Zerto down or anything. Like he just trying to get him off of him. He like, man, dang, quit. You know what I mean? I can't keep up with this or I'm gonna get seriously hurt if you keep doing this to me. And like I said, the second round was just a massacre, man. It was St. Valentine's Day, 9-11, Pearl Harbor, Columbine, Black Wall Street, Oklahoma City, you know, uh, Wilmington to massacre all in one man he was just whooping this dude target practice galore third round offensive skill was on full display and then you just knew it was just a matter of time because the the commentators were standing and then you can see boys he was just as he was hitting with those body shots and it was like oh man how much this can you take and i thought that zerto was targeting the body because he didn't want to hurt the man even worse by knocking him out you know like I said, with, with the offensive displays, shooting the body shots, the uppercuts. You know, he was just placing the shots so well. He had his hands up, Boisel did, but he was just getting in between, you know, underneath. And as you said, Bill, he is a fun fighter to watch because you, uh, you know that you're watching a highly skilled professional guy. Like I said, if you blindfolded somebody who's never watched boxing before, but they've heard about boxing, they would know that that's a professional fighter. When they're looking at Gilberto Zerdo Ramirez, and he's five and zero with five kills at one hundred and seventy-five pounds, fourth round shot the shot to shot the rib shot the shot to the ribs, and um, you know, boys was done. You know, referee waved the fight off. Excellent win. Another fighter who's fighting somebody should do that to somebody that caliber. You know, that level of opposition. You're supposed to handle your business like that, and Zerdo certainly did. Um, he's calling out Bivol. I think that that's a really good fight. You know, I think Zerto would be bigger, and both are very skilled. And if he doesn't take the fight, he's the number one. You know, he's going to position himself to take a vacant belt if um, B-Vol goes in a different direction. And so we shall see. But shout out to Gilberto. Zerto! Ramirez. Anything else you guys have on Zerto?
2: Yeah, I think you just blew the
0: speakers, man. (laughs)
2: At <laughs> least his ears by like, oh!
0: <laughs> <laughs> Zero, you know what I'm saying? Now, yesterday also, you had Sergey Kovalev. He was back in an action. Danny, I, I, I know that you checked that one out. That was a little bit past my bedtime. What did you think about Sergey?
1: So before I get on the, the fight itself, Triller need to figure out who they're trying to market to because you got these OGs that's in the verses, you know, with Cypress Hill and Onyx. And then you got the main event starting at 1.30. So it's like, who who are you trying to market to? Because the OG's not up. I was barely up. But anyway, this was Kovalev's first fight at Cruiserweight. Also his first fight since losing to Canelo in 2019. And his first fight training with uh, Buddy McGirt. He is now 35-4-1. And and Pulev is 16-1. So he suffered his first career loss. Uh, Both fighters are 39 years old. McGirt, if you listen to the corner, McGirt seemed to have a round by round plan. You know what I mean? So, in the sense that Kovalev came in boxing and working behind the jab. And so, in between rounds, he would say, All right, keep doing this. And then, in two rounds, you're going to do that. And in most cases, doing this meant either setting up something with the jab or ending something with the jab. And When he finished with the jab, like finished his combos, especially after going down to the body and coming back up with the jab, uh, that was a good look for him. And so um, this was a pretty one-sided fight. If you were nice, you maybe gave one round to to Pulev. And um, Kovalev, he did take some punishment in some spots, but he looked really good working behind that jab. Uh, he did not look great as a cruiserweight period you know what i mean just in terms of like how his body looked and everything but he admitted as much you know what i mean but um he looked good in his first comeback fight as a 39 year old in the post-fight interview he acknowledged that he didn't have a lot of energy he also said he would like to be a little bit lighter so he could be faster in the ring and that he needs one more fight like that like not at the highest level, but then after he does that, he'll be ready. So we'll see. It was a pretty standard fight, though. Other than that, Pulev was game. He just wasn't landing enough, and Kovalev just did some beautiful work behind the jab. He had a slight height advantage and a reach advantage, and he used it. He was a superior boxer. I don't think that – I don't know how much longer Kovalev is going to fight because, again, he's 39. But I don't think that he's going to be the crusher that we were used to at Cruiserweight. I think working with Buddy McGirt, he's looking to be more of a boxer. And to his credit, even when he fought Canelo, he was doing some pretty solid boxing then. But, you know, during the fight, the commentators were saying how he was praising Buddy McGirt in the sense that Buddy McGirt kind of broke everything down and kind of like rebuilt him from the ground up starting with the basics and so we'll see what he does from here he is in the division now where the biggest draw is Jake Paul so I'm not sure if he's going to end up fighting like a Lawrence Ocoley or like a a or whoever you know one of those belt holders but uh, we'll see you guys didn't watch that did you I know you didn't will
0: I but I, I I wanted to ask you how far do you think you can go? Now, before you answer that question, what I was gonna say is I saw a little bit of fight like the early part. He looked a little out of shape, um, looked like he was getting some of his ring rust off. But I just didn't really wanna sit up and watch some 40-year-old dude, you know, trying to get things back together. Right. just based a little thing that I saw, that that's what my question He doesn't definitely doesn't look like the pressure because those guys must seem like they would be able to take his punches better at one. 90, 200 pounds, whatever the cruiserweight limit is. And then also, what he's going to have to do is just jab your ears off, you know what I mean? And, and he has some really good boxing skills and he can utilize that against some guys. I would think that his best chance would be against Makabu um, because he has a WBC belt. But those other guys, to me, I think that knock not blocked block up. I think Oncoli is just too big. And I think that Bredis hits too hard. Dordicus, let's put it like this. I think that Ocoli will put him in a body bag. I think that Brady will put him in a body bag. And then I think Dordekis will put his body bag in a body bag. What,
1: what say you, sir? I'm inclined to agree. You know, like he said, he moved up to bring some excitement to the Cruiserweight division. But you're 39. You're fighting guys that are younger than you for the most part and bigger than you. And so o- Ocoli, he gets away with making cruiser because he can, but dude is six, five, you know, like a Coley's going to get him out of there. He's going to jab him from around the corner. Great. is just too big. And I, I don't know what his end game is, but at this point, I think he's just kind of fighting for the love or fighting for something to do or to clear his name or something, because, you know, he had all those allegations in between the time that he was out, you know? So honestly, I could see him never making it to one of those champions that he said he may be ready for. I could see him fighting like a, you know, a middle level guy, mid tier. And then by this time, he's going to be like 41. And then I could see him fighting a, like a going away fight basically in Russia against someone who's Russian. And I think he's going to call it because he's going to look at those guys and be like, you know what? never mind. He's, he's gonna—he's
0: he's trying to get them back, you know what I'm saying, like he did against Canelo. Now,
1: the other thing I was going to say is this, is that
0: you said that he was saying that he was fighting to bring excitement to the Cruiserweight division. Maybe the excitement he's telling him about is by getting his, his block knocked off like a kill with a <laughs> year Right.
2: Yeah, that was all, what I was thinking, yeah. To sacrifice himself. What What you think, Bill? Yeah, he's going to bring excitement, all right. He's going to get knocked out. I think he's, he's probably won't even make it to a, a – Cole. I can see it I can you know what let me take that back I can see a Akoli taking that fight just out of name value I can see that but if, if Kovalev is taking like these mid-tier fights between now and when that fight happens I think he's gonna one of them guys are gonna uh pretty much beat him or stop him I think it's you know he, he's been out of range since the Canelo fight I don't know what he's been doing but we know he likes you know to, to drink a lot and I know it as a, a, a athlete, you know, it don't always treat your body well, especially if you want to preserve, you know, your, uh, your body, you know, I understand if you want to, if you just want to get your money, get, have a good career and get out, but if you want to have a long career, when you look at guys like, you know, Bernard Hopkins, a Floyd or a Packout, Pac- I mean, you don't see them, you know, out there doing what Kovalev was doing. So, I mean, get, get your bag, but Hey, I mean, eventually it's going to happen. He's going to bring excitement. All right.
1: Maybe not the excitement he he's thinking about. Right. The last thing I'll say about the Crusher is I think a good opponent for him, like a good measuring stick at Cruiser, if he's serious about Cruiser, you know, do his one last fight against kind of a mid-tier opponent and then fight somebody like Lovoski. You know what I mean? Like Lovoski's 35. He'll probably be 36 by the time they fight. Uh, he's a former champ at the division. He's 32 and 3. And that will be the test of, can I compete against these current champions or should I just call it, you know? I think that would be a good test for him, but that's all I got. Are, are we done with Kovalev or y'all got something? Yeah, I'm done with Kovalev. <laughs> yeah, I'm done with that guy.
0: Great. Yeah, probably over there um, celebrating with, 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 with the on vodka, you know, not the 80 proof, the 100 proof, that blue <laughs>
1: but um so i don't vodka his hand talking about he's gonna be champion again (laughs) (laughs) so next week we had a few fights i'll name off a few one of them we'll give our quick picks on so next week jamel herring is going to be fighting jermaine ortiz in his comeback fight um after the loss to shakur stevenson out in the uk you got joshua bwatsi against craig richards which should be a pretty good one and one of those guys could see canelo win the Winner, depending on how that plays out and Tevin farmers fighting Mickey Bay. But what we're going to cover really quick is the battle of the Davids. David Benavidez is fighting David Lemieux. I believe that's a WBO eliminator, if I'm not mistaken, but, um, we talked about this already, but guys, can you give your a quick thoughts on how you think that's going to go?
0: As you stated, the battle of the Davids, this is going to be for one of the interim belts. So, This will help. I thought it was the IBF. I could be wrong. But what it's going to do is going to help one of these guys get closer to facing Canelo or it's going to enable them the opportunity to get a strap or fight for a strap if he decides not to fight him, you know, and that title is vacated. You got both guys are former world champions. Lemieux was a former... Um, middleweight title holder. He lost his belt to Gennady Golovkin. He claimed that he had some hair issues going to that fight. I thought the issues that he had on October 17, 2015, was the rights so and lefts that Golovkin was landing on that chin. Um, but, you know, who am I? Right. So then Benavidez, is a two time champ, lost both his belts um, titles twice, I should say, you know, not in the ring, but outside the ring for different issues. Benavidez is a great puncher, man, as far as like with the quick hands, offensively gifted. And I think that, well, let me talk about Lemieux a little bit. Lemieux, he is pretty heavy-handed, especially at 160, he had that devastating knockout power. So it's going to be interesting, man, uh, to see how Benavidez handles somebody who has one-punch destructive KO power, um, because I've never seen him face somebody like that before. And I think this would be more interesting if this was a couple of years back around 2015, 2016. I just think that at this stage of his career, that Benavidez, he's just going to be too much for him. He's going to be able to control the distance. He's going to have a high work rate and he's just going to overwhelm Lemieux. So I anticipate this fight ending probably between round seven and eight. And I just think that at this stage of Benavidez's career and the stage of Lemieux's career that David Benavidez will win the Battle of the Davids by seventh, eighth round TKL.
1: Yeah, Lemieux is, what, 43 and four, but he... Hasn't had a ton of fights at super middle. He's had about three fights since 2019. This is his first fight at the elite level of super middleweight. And he wasn't looking great at the middleweight, you know, at that stage of his career, you know? Uh, He had lost that unanimous to Billy Joe Sanders. He did beat Gary O'Sullivan uh, before moving up, but I don't think that was an elite win. In this instance, I think that, at five, nine and a half, he's just going to be too small and too slow for Benavidez. And I think Benavidez is really going to tee off on him and rattle off some really good combos. And I could see him stopping him probably, if Triple G stopped him in eight way back when, I think he's going to stop him in about five.
2: Yeah, I kind of see things similar to to the way you guys see it. Now, now David Lemieux, I'll say outside of – uh, Curtis Stevens, I mean, he doesn't do well with guys who punch either as hard as him or harder than him. You know, he just—he's one of those guys that can hit hard. He's almost—he's almost like uh, who was that guy that used to fight at one thirty? Ocelino Frictus you know, a guy who could you know punch hard, but when you punch him hard back, he doesn't necessarily fare well. And now he's moving up, and I don't think he at one sixty eight. He's he has that same power. Um, and and is just too big for him, you know, a, a six-foot guy, career 168-pounder who actually had to, you know, lose weight to get to 168, who was probably naturally heavier than that. And that and volume, it, it, I think it's just gonna be too much. And David Benavidez has any good of a chin that I think he is, he's gonna walk through. I see this fight going about to the sixth round, and and, and David Benavidez is gonna give him gonna get him out of there pretty much.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Um, yeah, it should be interesting. I just wouldn't advise uh, Benavidez to, you know, take some of those shots by um, the other David Lemieux, you know, because he is a double. That's one thing that's the one last thing that goes, that punch of power, you know what I mean? And, and, and he has been dropped, you know, in his career, you know, a couple, on a couple of occasions. So I wouldn't wouldn't advise that, you know, but certainly should be a good showcase um, type victory for David Benavidez, you know, if he's on his A game, you know what I mean? It seems to be that way now because he appears to be a lot more focused and more mature than he was when he was losing his titles outside the ring. So, you know, I look forward to seeing that action um, next week. And then a few other things I want to say, shout out to William Zapata. He was able to, you know, get a 10th round um, victory over Rene Alvarado, the always tough Rene Alvarado. Zapata's a knockout puncher. And... Alvarez gave him all he can handle, you know what I mean? Like I say, using those old man tactics, you know, landing a lot of punches on the on younger guy, backing him up, but I, I thought that Cepeda did a really good job of hanging in there, and, you know, even though he had some rocky moments that he was able to go through, and that's, that's the type of fights that you want to see a young, up-and-coming guy fight and face so that they can improve on their craft, so shout out to him. The other thing that I wanted to mention is you had Amir Khan, he recently retired. You guys have any thoughts on Amir's career?
2: Yeah, you know, he's a guy who, you know, won a silver medal in the Olympics. Um, he took his career as far as he could. Uh, very talented guy. Um, had obvious, obvious weaknesses, you know, but at the same time, he was always courageous. He was never afraid to get in there. I mean, most guys did they have issues like that or, or, or 10 issues. They doubt themselves enough where they don't take certain fights that he took. Um, there were certain fights that he took that I thought was very impressive, like uh, when he took on the Maidana that just had stopped Victor Ortiz and when he moved up to, to fight Canelo, I think those gutsy challenges and 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 even if he didn't live up to what we thought he could be, hopefully he's respected enough for, you know, those, you know, giving us entertaining fights and taking those risks and showing boxers like, look, I don't care about O or status. And, 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 and even if he did get knocked out, he believed in himself totally. And, and you know, what? for that, i do respect Americana. Hopefully he enjoys his retirement, uh, enjoys his money, you know,
1: and, and he can stay healthy. Yes, sir. You said it about as good as I could. But uh, happy trails to him. You know what I mean? He, he was a polarizing figure, but he made for good fights. And, you know, he's there to be great. He's done some things that other fighters weren't able to do. So um, salute to that, brother.
0: You know, shout out to him, but he was a crazy son of a gun. He was just very illusional, but in a good way. You know what I mean? It's like everybody in the building, everybody in the world knew certain fights that with the outcome, with the exception of Amir Khan. It's like Canelo was hitting as hard as he was hitting him with that weak chin. You know, I can beat him and I'm gonna do this. And he talking about May to knock him out and stuff like, like Amir, come on, man. Like, are you serious? Like you think you're gonna be able to beat Codelo Alvarez? And he just would do that over and over. You know shout out to him you know for having such heart you know and and giving us great moments you know what i mean that's all you can ask for in a fighter and he certainly um is one of those guys i wouldn't call him an english muffin <laughs> you understand what i'm saying he was tough but he just had that weak set of whispers you know what i mean but shout out to you Amir Khan. hopefully um you enjoy your retirement and then lastly um it was another guy As you guys catch the little fellow who got the it might be knockout of the year he was on one of those undercars. I just happened to turn it on. and He knocked the guy clean out of the ring. And shout out to that little dude. I don't know who he is. But did you see that fight,
2: fellas? Oh, I'm going to have to check that out, man. We find out who that is, send, send that name to me, man. I'll check him out.
0: Definitely will. Uh, yeah. You guys have anything else before we wrap things up?
2: Yeah, yeah. Shout out to, you know, a lot of the, the, the homies that, that keep me on my toes. online. You know, my main man, Nick Bartley. My main man, uh My brother, Pookie, who, who, who thinks. Oh, has his name? Uh, Clubber Lane would beat Ivan Drago. <laughs> Shout out to those guys, man. You know,
0: I see. Yes. Well, on that note, man. Hopefully, you enjoyed the episode, um, and you know, we look forward to chopping it up with you next week after the Battle of the Davids. And you know, hopefully, enjoy these, You enjoyed the game sevens that took place on Sunday. Have a great week. On that note, we out. Peace. Peace. Peace.